Hey, science nerds, welcome to Beyond the Abstract, a podcast dedicated to discussion of the coolest cutting edge basic science research papers in a way that just about anyone can understand. We're your hosts, Derek and Ellen, two MD-PhD students at the University of Pennsylvania who are passionate about science communication and bridging the gaps between science and medicine. In each episode, we'll dive into a paper and talk about the experiments these scientists did, what they mean for the future of research, and even potential impacts on human health and medicine. We can't wait to share all this cool science with you. Hey, this is Derek. And this is Ellen. Welcome to episode one of Beyond the Abstract. Yay, our first episode. It's our first episode. (laughs) Okay, so today we have a very special guest, a very dear friend. We started our MD-PhD journey together. Uh, We have Jenna Zhang with us. Hi. (laughs) Jenna is also a third-year MD-PhD here at Penn. Uh, she went to some like tiny school <laughs> no in one's Cambridge. Ever heard of it. Um, yeah, no one's ever heard of it. What was it called? Uh, they used to say Harvard a whole lot. I don't actually know. Yeah, we just call it, it the Cornell of Cambridge, honestly. <laughs> and she took some time before starting her PhD. What What exactly were you doing? Yeah, I took a I took two med school gap years. <laughs> yeah, just basically a vacation. Yeah, yeah, just took some nice relaxing some time, time off. off. Yeah. So Derek has chosen the paper this week. So do you want to introduce the paper for us? Yeah. Okay. So the paper I chose is this really cool paper, actually. And it kind of combines like a bunch of different things, like things about stem cells, things about development, which is my main area of research. It essentially does all this stuff together. So Ellen and Jenna, what if I told you that you could grow a human heart inside a pig? I would say you sound like an evil scientist. <laughs> Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Well, I've been called a witch more than once. <laughs> so the title of this paper is called Interspecies Chimerism with Mammalian Pluripotent Stem Cells. And it was published in Cell in 2017 by the Belmonte Group at the Salk Institute in San Diego. I mean, I know that was just a lot of big words and our whole thing is science that's like easy to understand. So we're going to break this down. Okay, so what is a chimera? Chimeras are essentially like a combination of two different species. So you probably heard the word before, you know, when you were talking about like some Greek mythological creature, right? Or Harry Potter. Or Harry Potter. Potter. Oh, like Buckbeak is like kind of like a chimera, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does he have? Like the head of a unicorn, and like the, the tail of, of an eagle. unicorn. <laughs> Is Buckbeak just a unicorn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, what is it actually? Like he has like. I think he's like part eagle. Part eagle. Part. Um, Doesn't he have like grif- horse legs? Oh, horse. That sounds right. And then part <laughs> griffin. Is that a real animal? Oh, Ooh, yeah. Well, what okay. realm are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a mule, which is like the offspring of a, it's like the love child of like a donkey and a horse. Love child. (laughs) 
is so scandalous. You know, now. like donkeys and horses can have feelings too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they also want to fall in love. You're so right. It's also, since we're in October and in spooky season, it's like Dr. Frankenstein's monster, oh. which is why. And these are like Franken organs, essentially. Yes. Right? Whoa. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Episode title. It's Episode happening. title, for sure. Okay. <laughs> so now that we know what chimeras are, what exactly are stem cells? Stem cells are cells that haven't decided what they want to be yet. Um, and there's a lot of kind of like... Can't relate. <laughs> Obviously, we can't relate. But everyone has a lot of stem cells. And there's actually multiple types of stem cells. Like you have like blood stem cells, right? These are stem cells that are in your bones that can turn into red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets. And you have stem cells in like a lot of other places in your body as well. And it basically um, just helps your body a lot of times regenerate for cell loss, especially yeah. for places like your skin. And I, when we're talking about stem cells, we often use the words like undifferentiated and stem cells having potential, which means, like you said, they haven't really decided what they want to be, but they have the opportunity to become a lot of different yeah. things. They're like still figuring shit out, yeah. right? Which They're... doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> no, I have everything figured out. <laughs> the question that this group was trying to answer with this paper is, can we actually use human stem cells to create an organ inside a pig or a cow using these chimeras, right? It's like really weird and really cool. And we know that right now, stem cells can be used within even just humans, right? Like we know that doctors do bone marrow transplants. Someone has like, like cancer, like cancer, exactly, yeah, like leukemia totally. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. One thing they do is they try to transplant stem cells so they have normal stem cells to recover that function. And besides this, there's a lot of things that could come out of this. They can find out more about how like species have evolved. Why aren't I like a potato? Why am I different from a a potato? (laughs) Or maybe like, why am I different from a monkey, right? Excellent question. (laughs) I'm actually the same as a potato. I'm basically a potato. You have evolved into the same species. If I were to go- It's just convergent evolution at this point. Us and potato. Full circle, it's a circle of life. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Even other things like disease processes and like, I think- the real, the, the meat and potatoes this, <laughs> is like, can we create human organs that can maybe be transplanted? That would be pretty cool, right? Yeah. I think like in the wards, we all saw at least one patient that needed a transplant of some sort. Absolutely. And yeah, for sure. It's kind of a sad situation because there's definitely a shortage of organs and it'd be pretty cool if we could grow organs and everyone had organs. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. Okay, so we're just going to dive right into what they did we're gonna go over some like the big experiments they did we're gonna get maybe a little technical not too technical hopefully but we really want to like highlight just how cool and how innovative this paper really was so the first thing that they did was they wanted to see if these chimeras are like even possible so they took these stem cells from the rat and injected it into like a very early mouse embryo what they wanted to make was a living rat mouse chimera They just wanted to prove that, like, these chimeras were possible, if at all. And they would take these, you know, combined chimeras with rat stem cells and a mouse embryo, implant it into a female mouse, kind of like IVF, to see Mm -hmm. if they could make these chimeras. And if they could develop properly and actually live into adulthood. So how is it that they were actually able to see, okay, is this chimera, like, actually a chimera with cells from both? Well, they could do this 
with two methods. First thing they did was they tagged these rat stem cells with a fluorescent tag. Essentially, it's kind of just like the signature that these rat stem cells would glow a certain color. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if they looked at this organism and they see part of it like orange because of this fluorescent tag, then they note that, okay, these rat stem cells actually were incorporated into it. The other thing they could do is just look at the DNA. How much is it from a rat and how much is it from a mouse? Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy. So were they able to claw back up? Is this fluorescence tool something they looked at like after the chimeras were birthed? Or do you track this mm-hmm. sort of developmentally mm-hmm. as it's happening mm-hmm. during the gestation and pregnancy right you want to know like where are these cells actually popping up right and then are they popping up more in some places than others right yeah that's a really good question so they were able to track it essentially all along the pregnancy and they actually looked at different organs too to see which ones maybe perhaps had more cells and what they found was that it varied a lot essentially like some organs has as few as like one percent of the cells were from rat cells Versus other organs like the heart, 10% of the cells are actually from rat cells. So like one-tenth of the heart was not from a mouse, it was from the rat. Mm -hmm. I know 10% might not sound like a lot, but imagine like, what's like 10% of your body? Like your entire head? Oh, like my bladder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you shouldn't have chugged like nine glasses of water at dinner before this. Currently, it's my bladder. It's not. It will shrink down the water. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to the. So we can fix that. You'll get to the pancreas. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's say like your stomach. That's like kind of crazy. It is crazy. crazy. Also, it's the heart. You know. Also, it's the heart. Kind of a big deal. Ever heard of it? It's the liver of the thoracic. Mine's already gone anyway. so. So something that is actually really cool that they found out while doing all of this, is that rats normally don't have gallbladders, right? I did not know that. (laughs) Gallbladders are really important in, like, digesting fats. They store something called bile. Yes. Um, And bile is really important in digesting fats. And for some reason, rats don't have them. Maybe they're on, like, a diet or whatever. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) something that was, like, really interesting was that these mouse rat chimeras, which, by the way, are mostly mouse cells, they actually have gallbladders containing rat cells and essentially what this demonstrated was that the mouse environment of some sort like these mouse cells were essentially able to influence these rat cells to form a gallbladder right like that's crazy that's crazy didn't know they had it in them yeah did not like i said they have potential they have potential yeah right and these mouse cells could unlock that yeah so it's all about the environment you're in, the things that you surround yourself with. <laughs> yeah. Bring... Genes are out, environments <laughs> in. That's all that matters. But that's really cool because I feel like that's one thing we learn about stem cells is like the environment they're in really matters for like what they differentiate into. But this is a really cool way of showing they don't have a gallbladder, but somehow in these mice, they're able to generate yeah. like a completely different organ that they've never even like heard of before. They're like, exactly. what am I, a gallbladder? Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine you're this like rat cell and you're just like You're on gall. your way to become like a spleen and suddenly it's like, just kidding. <laughs> gallbladder, gallbladder, never heard of her. Never heard of her. <laughs> Who is she? Who is she? <laughs> 
Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you, Derek, is that you said there was 1% of, of rat cells in the pancreas, 10% in the heart. Were they able to do anything to control the amount of rat expression, like either normalize it to all the different tissues or like increase the amount of rat expression? I mean, that's a really good question, right? If we're going to do this theoretical like organ transplant, you don't want a heart that's 90% pig cells. Ideally, you would like it to be 100% your own cells. So I think this is like one of the coolest, most ingenious things that they did. So they wanted to see if they could increase the number of cells from one species that contribute to an organ. They deleted a gene needed for that organ and wanted to see if the other species could compensate, right? Like the mm -hmm. other species essentially were completely normal. And then the host was like the mouse in this example, was missing a gene for say like the pancreas or the heart. The first one they did was the pancreas. They deleted this gene, super important for the pancreas to function, and injected these rat stem cells. And what the, they found was that the chimeras actually had functional pancreases and that these embryos could live into adulthood, right? They went up to like a year, which is essentially like a bajillion years in humans. Yeah, that's right? basically yeah. mid-70s. <laughs> the pancreas is super important for controlling your glucose levels, your blood sugar, and does a lot of other stuff too, but essentially these mice had completely normal blood sugar levels. Crazy, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it like goes to show that this could be a pretty big deal, demonstrating that they actually get function from the organ. If we totally. even think of a disease like diabetes. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Diabetes is essentially your pancreas getting destroyed. So what if we could restore that? Like super yeah. cool. I think this is where the paper also started to show that there are limitations to this technology. So they tried the same thing, deleting a gene with the heart, and then did the same thing, deleted this gene in the mice, injected rat stem cells. And what they saw was that there actually was an increase of number of rat cells contributing to the heart. But unfortunately, these embryos weren't able to survive until adulthood. They seemed to have kind of normal growth up to a point, mm. but after that, they would just die. And it's mm -hmm. not really understood why. Mm -hmm. I think even though we think the heart as being a simple pump, just pumping blood, maybe it just has more functions than we really know. But for some reason, these embryos just weren't able to survive. And it sounds like obviously they didn't go into sort of a hypothesis about why this was happening, but maybe in the future they'll, they'll sort of investigate that path to see what's different about the heart development versus pancreas development. Yeah. And these organs all develop at different times, right? Yeah. During the gestational period. So totally. timing could totally play a role in, you know, when you introduce certain things and make it a more viable option. Yeah. Totally. As much as we think that like rats and mice are like really, really similar, and they are similar because I hate them both. <laughs> <laughs> they actually are completely different species, yeah. right? So they have different developmental time points and that could be one of the answers, but they don't really dive into it. I think it's something they'll probably want to follow up on in yeah. the future. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the last thing they wanted to see was, is it possible for human cells to actually make these chimeras? And the thing is, in order for chimeras to form, you need two species that have organs that are at least similar in size. Like imagine like a human heart in like a mouse. A human heart is like five times the size of a mouse already, right? It's like, that's not going to work. I'm just imagining a human gallbladder in a mouse. <laughs> a human gallbladder in a rat. <laughs> just like poking out. <laughs> 
So what they chose to use were pigs and cows, I guess, are the same size as us. Their hearts are, like, actually comparable in size. Yeah, right? yeah I feel it's like... It's more they're... on the scale than a mouse. Yeah. Definitely. We're getting warmer. <laughs> I feel like there there's, like, precedent for previous studies doing human organ transplant with pigs or something. Yeah, like, wasn't right? insulin for first therapies for diabetes wasn't insulin made in pigs? Am I making that up? Oh, yeah. I feel like I with remember dogs? that. Maybe dogs, sheep, pigs. They're all the same. Some the, the, these are all the Some similar scale. Domesticated animal that's a, larger than a mouse. I don't know what like weird domesticated pigs you have in your house. <laughs> <laughs> so they chose pigs and cows. They did something similar as before, right? They had these pig and cow embryos and would inject human stem cells into them. So they found that the human stem cells were able to integrate into both the cow and pig embryos, but they just carried forward with the pig because it's actually more similar to human organ size and like the developmental process that it goes through. It's actually more similar to humans. Also, fun fact, they got the pig and cow cells from a quote local slaughterhouse interesting so you know your bacon could come from the (laughs) same okay never you're gonna get you're gonna like spread the news that there's like human chimera bacon being sold in your local slaughterhouse so they were using pig embryos they were injecting human stem cells into it and what they actually found were that human pig chimeras are more often than not growth restricted Mm -hmm. Um, meaning that they're just like a lot smaller and usually growth restriction means that something's gone wrong pretty early Mm -hmm. and embryos with no detectable fluorescent signal meaning that none of the human cells were incorporated were more likely to be a normal size and i mean this makes sense right yeah like it seems like the human stem cells are limiting the pig embryo in some way and if there's no human cells or the human cells weren't able to incorporate, then the pig's more likely to be a normal size. They took these embryos and they analyzed them in the same way, looking at fluorescence, looking at DNA, to see if they were actually able to find human cells within the pig. And they were. They actually were able to find human cells that integrated and differentiated into like specific cell types, like in the brain, in the heart, in different areas. But what they found that this was really, really rare very few cells were actually derived from humans, like much less than the mouse rat chimera. It was like super inefficient. Yeah. I guess that's not crazy. I mean, I think humans and pigs are probably less, as I know we just went through how mice and rats are not, you know, as much as we think of them as being super related are different, but they're much more related than humans and pigs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At least mice and rat both have tails. I don't know you, but so I don't have true. a tail. Well, let's not make assumptions about <laughs> me and our listeners. <laughs> All right. So that was basically the end of the paper. What this paper showed us was that these interspecies chimeras are possible, mm-hmm. right? That stem cells from one species can incorporate into another, and in some cases, even like unlock potential in another species, like we yeah. saw with the gallbladder, sure. the mouse rat chimera. And we can actually control how many cells contribute by getting rid of important genes in the host, like getting rid of a pancreas gene in the mouse allowed more rat cells to contribute to the pancreas. Mm -hmm. So these contributions, they're not even like 50-50, right? Like the host, like the mouse, usually dominates. We also found that human chimera organs are possible 
but it's really, really difficult to achieve. And these human cells by far contribute only a minority Mm -hmm. of cells. It's really inefficient. So I think obviously this paper is super exciting. I mean, they went from rat and mouse chimeras to human pig chimeras, which I feel like is a pretty bold, ambitious leap with there being still so much unknown. This group and other groups are probably going to continue to try to understand their failures, which is a super important part of science. Why are the human cells such a minority in the pig and cattle chimeras? Are there certain things that we can manipulate about the chimeras to help induce the human cells in the pig and cattle? This paper is a super exciting starting point for a lot more research that needs to be done, sort of understanding why these chimeras fail. Yeah, it's a really good, I think, broad overview starting off study and leaves lots of different avenues down which you could make projects and explore lots of other questions. I mean, the first thing you want to know of something is, is it even possible? So they show that it's possible, but with a lot of caveats. Yeah. Right? Sounds like science. Sounds like science. (laughs) (laughs) Usually everything just works the first time for me. (laughs) (laughs) This paper really has a lot of potential. This paper is basically a stem cell, right? It's undifferentiated, but it can turn into a lot of different things. I love that time. One of the biggest problems that this technology can solve is something that we alluded to earlier is the shortage of organ transplants. I think there's something like 100,000 Americans are currently on the organ transplant list, but there aren't nearly enough Mm -hmm. organs to meet all their needs. And the ability to use a person's own stem cells to create an organ inside another organism is huge. Yeah. And I think not just using a patient's own cells to generate organs would address so many of the issues because not only is there a shortage of organs that are available there are all these complexities that go into matching patients with viable organs Mm -hmm. making sure that rejection doesn't happen after the fact and if you could try to derive them from the patient's own stem cells that would be a huge potential and you were saying that rejection is not an uncommon thing that happens But we can control this by putting a patient on immunosuppressive medications. Essentially, it shuts down the patient's own immune system because what happens in organ rejection is that the patient's immune system attacks the organ and tries to get rid of it because it's from something else. That's kind of its job. It's just doing its job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But these immunosuppressive drugs, they're not inconsequential. And I think this can tie back to what you mentioned before when we were in our clinical rotations, Derek and I were on our pulmonary rotation. Jenna did her service on the GI floor. I saw a lot of patients waiting for lung transplants. Jenna can speak to Oh, yeah. I saw tons of patients waiting for liver transplant, dual liver kidney transplants. Yeah. And even after the transplant, it's not an easy course because you are on these essentially lifelong immunosuppressives, mm-hmm. which have pretty severe side effects. Patients will have to be super cautious about like getting infections because their immune system is basically being shut down by their medications. The implications are huge. And I think that's one of the reasons we're so excited about this paper is that even though it's still in its very early stages, the implications many years from now is pretty awesome. So we're talking a lot about like organ transplants, which usually come from, you know, some sort of environmental factor 
right? Like smoking is like really bad for your lungs. If you smoke a really long time, you could get cancer and then you need a lung transplant. But what about genetic defects in a patient? Like yeah. let's say cystic fibrosis. We know that certain genetic mutations cause cystic fibrosis. With the onset of a lot of genome editing technology, what if we could take a patient's own stem cells, fix that genetic defect, grow a new pair of lungs, and then give it back to the patient? That's huge totally. as well. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. We're talking like years and years down the line, and we're just getting kind of a small snapshot of the beginning of you know this very exciting mm-hmm. work and study. But I think as this paper shows us, this technology is like far far from being Mm -hmm. there right now Mm -hmm. we're gonna have to do a lot more work before we can grow an organ that is like predominantly from humans inside something else Mm -hmm. that's like ready to be transplanted Mm -hmm. but it shows that the door at least is cracked a little bit (laughs) (laughs) there'll be there'll be many scientists rushing to open the door (laughs) yeah yeah, hopefully (laughs) that concludes episode one of beyond the abstract kind of crazy right (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna end this episode with just a few questions for our guest so our first question for you is what's your favorite part about doing science Ooh, favorite part about doing science besides just getting to read and hear about really just like revolutionary and almost like (laughs) sci-fi sounding stuff like this paper we just talked about right I think it's almost the process of thinking through a scientific question and Mm -hmm. going from a hypothesis to a full story it's like it's almost like composing putting together a puzzle I feel like in a lot of ways and I think it's easy to forget when you read papers that are these like beautiful linear stories that you think that experiments, you know, the first experiment you did was figure one. And then the last one you did was figure, well, I don't want to, I don't want to know 20. Some, some hypothetical figure number. We're not going to attack anyone by giving an actual number, but that's not actually how it works. And I think the day to day of doing an experiment that might be like a figure that's like dead in the middle of a final story and then trying to remove yourself enough to see what's around it and figure out what the next best steps are is something that I really love yeah you gotta let your creative juices flow and then you gotta tell stories yeah Yeah. spill the tea spill the tea (laughs) to all your very intrigued scientist colleagues can't wait for you to spill the tea (laughs) we have a second question for Jenna which is what Hogwarts house do you think you are in? And then you have to tell me and Derek what house you think we're in. Uh, okay. <laughs> Tread carefully. Tread, I know. I, I do want to be invited back to this podcast at some point. So I'm probably a Gryffindor. That is what I've been told. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm flattered. I think Jenna's a Gryffindor. She... She's super brave. I can tell you she's super loyal. (laughs) He says that because he hasn't heard my answer for his house yet. Give all the compliments now. And for you guys, uh, I mean, first of all, I would like to say I think all the houses are good. And like, I know Derek self-identifies this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's a Slytherin. I am a Slytherin. (laughs) Because he's 
he's so smart and he's so clever. And I like Taylor Swift. <laughs> and he likes, uh-oh. <laughs> like we said, science is just spilling tea. <laughs> and then, well, Ellen's going to be mad at me. I know what's coming. <laughs> I think Ellen is a Hufflepuff. You know, she's also a hot ginger. Like, like meets Commander. So, so the wow. similarities just don't end. I can't believe this turned into a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> and then our last question for you, Jenna, is what is your worst lab injury ever? My worst lab injury ever? Um, Probably like when I was an undergrad, I... Forgot I had a Bunsen burner on. I went to like reach for something above my bench and like fully singed off all the arm hair on oh. my right arm. <laughs> all right, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Jenna almost burned down Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think that's a good place to end yeah. it, right? <laughs> Jenna singed arm hair. <laughs> and um, and Harvard just Harvard burning flames. <laughs> that's something I like to picture. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. Of Thanks course. so much for joining. Thanks for joining. <laughs> <laughs>